Hello everyone and welcome to PA Study Sesh. I'm your host McKenna Morgan and this week we'll be discussing heart failure and cardiomyopathies. Alright everybody, welcome back to another week, another day in cardiovascular. Uh, this week, as I mentioned, we'll be discussing cardiomyopathies. We've already discussed hypertrophic cardiomyopathies in our congenital heart disease, so go ahead and reference that episode for that. Um, And then we'll be discussing heart failure. We're going to keep this topic pretty short today. As I was doing the research, it just felt really heavy. And even for me, I always felt like I understood heart failure really well. And it just, it still felt like a lot of information. So I'd rather have an episode that wasn't super overwhelming just for the sake of going through topics. I'd rather have a shorter one that you guys can take time and really digest uh, versus being bombarded with information just so we can get through cardio. And without further ado, let's get on with our questions. Describe the sputum associated with left-sided heart failure. If there is any, it will be described as pink and frothy. What is the number one cause of restrictive cardiomyopathy? This is amyloidosis. Does fluid back into the lungs or into the body with left-sided heart failure? And fluid backs into the lungs. All right. So the majority of this episode is going to focus on heart failure. Um, Cardiomyopathies are pretty quick topics, um, but the treatments are really similar to heart failure, so I think we're going to lay the foundation there. So in starting with heart failure, we can divide this into systolic versus diastolic and then left versus right, but I don't want you to think that you have left systolic heart failure, but then you also have right diastolic heart failure. It doesn't quite work like that. Um, So how it kind of works for me to wrap my head around it is when I think of systolic versus diastolic, I'm thinking of the etiology of their heart failure. So I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in just a second. So starting with systolic, because this is the most common of systolic versus diastolic, remembering that systole is the active contraction of the heart. So when we have systolic heart failure, the heart isn't strong enough to pump the blood. So because of that, we'll have what's called a decreased ejection fraction. And if you haven't ever heard what an ejection fraction is, it's basically the percentage of blood that leaves the ventricle or the atria, it doesn't really matter. We're talking about the ventricles here per contraction. So again, in systolic heart failure, we have a decreased ejection fraction. So you may also hear this called HEF-REF, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. I'm going to refer to them as systolic and diastolic heart failure. One, because I think it's easier to remember systole and diastole. Also two, because it's really hard for you guys to understand hef-ref and hef-pef on a podcast. So anyway, just noting that for you guys. So again, these guys have a decreased ejection fraction, and this is because they have very thin ventricular walls and their ventricles are dilated. So their ventricles are really big, but they're really stretched out, so they're weak. So it's like a big old stretched balloon. Um, On physical exam, they may have a positive S 
three heart sound, uh, which again is that passive ventricular filling. Etiologies of systolic heart failure, maybe status post MI, could be from dilated cardiomyopathy, which we're talking about later, or a valvular disorder. Should again refer to that episode for those. Okay, so that's systolic heart failure. It's the most common of the two. Heart's weak, can't pump blood strong enough. Diastolic heart failure, remembering that diastole is when the heart relaxes to allow those chambers to refill. So in diastolic heart failure, the heart just doesn't relax. So they'll have a normal or increased ejection fraction. So again, this is called HFPEF with a P, H-F-P-E-F. And they'll have very thick ventricular walls, which may even result in a small, um, small chamber size of the left ventricle because there's so much hypertrophy of those chambers. Does that make sense? So as those, it squeezes so hard, and that may increase the ejection fraction, but it just never relaxes to fill it with what you need. So again, the result is that the fluid doesn't get moving as much as it should. On physical exam, these may have the presence of an S4 heart sound. Remember, this is a forced atrial contraction into a stiff ventricle. Etiologies of diastolic heart failure are hypertension, or left ventricular hypertrophy. All right. So what I think is actually the more, um, I wanna, I'm gonna go with critical, is left versus right heart failure. You can have left systolic, you can have left diastolic, um, you can have right systolic, right diastolic, et cetera. And for here, I want you to think more of symptoms. If you have left-sided heart failure, regardless of whether it's systolic or diastolic, you're going to present with certain symptoms. We're going to start with the most common, again, which is left-sided heart failure. The number one causes of left-sided heart failure are coronary artery disease and hypertension. So when we think about symptoms of left-sided heart failure, I want you to remember that the left side of the heart takes blood from the lungs and pumps it to the rest of the body. So if you were to slow down or put a blockage in that pump, the fluid will back into the lungs. And I'm not joking, when I am studying cardiovascular and even on my boards, I drew out my little heart box, I have my little atria and my ventricles and where it went, and I would draw out, okay, if I had a blockage here, where does my fluid back up into? And sometimes that's what you need to do. And if that makes sense to you, I encourage you to have that little diagram available to you um, to help you visualize where exactly is this blood congesting to. So again, we're basically slowing down our output from the lungs to the body. So all of our fluid is backing up into the lungs. So all the symptoms are pulmonary based. So they'll have dyspnea, they'll have increased pulmonary venous pressure, they'll have pulmonary congestion, which can be described through having rails, ronchi, orthopnea, they're saying they need to sleep on pillows. The question is always how many pillows. Uh, they may also have paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, just they wake up gasping for air, they say they need to open a window for air, they just can't get enough. Uh, 
And they may also have a chronic, typically non-productive cough, but sometimes they'll come up with this pink frothy sputum. It's not a whole lot, uh, but when you see pink frothy sputum, I want you to think congestive heart failure. Uh, there's very other, very few other things that are pink sputum, um, which we'll talk about when we get to pulp. So keep that in mind, especially if they have other risk factors that are making you think cardiovascular versus uh, pulp. My apologies for that background noise there. My dog decided that he needed a little bit of a drink today. Uh, again, I'm going to repeat that. Patients with left-sided heart failure, if they have any sputum, it will be pink and frothy. This isn't the only sputum that can be pink, but if you're thinking a cardiovascular cause based on the question stem versus a pulmonary cause, such as a pneumonia, which we'll talk about when we do the pulmonary chapter, um, I want you to think congestive heart failure. That will be what gives you pink sputum as a cardiac cause. Okay, another note, congestive heart failure is the number one cause of a transudative pleural effusion. Note that. These patients may also have hypertension. They may present with, with, with what's called Shane Stokes breathing. And this is deep and fast breathing with periods of apnea. And then they'll have an S3 or an S4, depending on whether it's systolic or diastolic. Moving on to right-sided heart failure. The number one cause of right-sided heart failure is left-sided heart failure. And this makes sense. If you think about this, the right side, for lack of a better phrase, is the gentler side of the heart. It only has to work to pump blood to the lungs, so it's simply not as strong. So it can't work against the increased pressure in the lungs that's created by the left-sided heart failure. Make sense? So remembering that the right side takes blood from the body to the lungs. If you block that pipe, the fluid is gonna back into the body. So they're gonna have peripheral edema. They'll have pitting edema. They may have JVD and they'll have GI or hepatic congestion. And there's a bunch of symptoms that I could list that all kind of depict that. A um, couple other big ones I'm gonna pick on are hepatosplenomegaly. And just imagine that you're full. So they may be nauseous, they may be anorexic, they may feel bloated, there's all sorts of those kind of things. But just imagine there's fluid everywhere else. That's what they're gonna feel. Diagnosis of heart failure, doesn't matter what kind it is. Echocardiogram is number one. Remember going way back, if we care about the structure or the function of the heart, we get an echo. Again, this measures the function and the ejection fraction. A normal ejection fraction is 55 to 60%. I don't think you necessarily have to know this number exactly. Um, e is the fifth letter of the alphabet, if that helps. Uh, but again, and that's kind of nitpicking. Under 35%, and they need to get a defibrillator placed. Uh, these patients, you're probably also going to order a chest x-ray. Uh, they'll have infiltrates, pleural effusions. Remember, it's the number one cause of transudative effusion. They'll have what's called curly B lines. 
and they may have what's called butterfly pattern infiltrates. You may also order a B-type natriuretic peptide. This is also called a brain natriuretic peptide. This is abbreviated as BNP. And I prefer the type uh, B-type natriuretic peptide. Brain, it has nothing to do with the brain. It was just that was where it was discovered. That's a fun fact. Um, so BNP, it's released by the ventricles during volume overload. A lab value of greater than 100 says CHF is likely. So that's a good clue to you. Management of patients in heart failure. I'm going to start with acute. This is also called decompensated or congestive heart failure. And I didn't really talk about the symptoms of this at all. Um, and the reason is, is it could be any of the symptoms that I listed. But what it is, it's basically an acute exacerbation from baseline. So if a patient normally sleeps on one pillow and all of a sudden they're saying that I need to sleep completely upright on four pillows, they're probably in acute um, decompensated heart failure. Any of those just, you know, drastic changes in their status, I would put them in um, a decompensated heart failure status. So management of these guys, LMNOP plus maybe a D. Number one is for Lasix. I know this is a, uh, that, that's a brand name, so you will not see that on the boards, but you can also say L for loop diuretic. This is also called ferrosamide. So L for loop diuretic, we prefer Lasix. Um, M for morphine, N for nitrates, O for oxygen, P for position. You're gonna put them upright. You're not gonna give that to them in the particular order, but that's just a nice alphabetical way to remember it. And then maybe digoxin. I've seen some questions that reference digoxin in um, association with heart failure. I just, uh, I hesitate with dig. <laughs> People like generally don't like it. Um, so I just, I always throw maybe dig. But um, when you see it, it's every board question I have, it's they only associate it with heart failure. So just throwing that in there for good measure. All right, so acute, they get LMNOP. All right, so for chronic, this does make a difference on whether it's systolic or diastolic because we're treating their etiology versus their symptoms. So for chronic systolic, they're gonna get swabbed, S-W-A-B-D. Sodium less than two grams a day, water less than two liters a day. They get an ACE or an ARB, just first line. And when we talk about cardiac drugs, I think it will probably be the final episode of cardio. I feel a little bit like Oprah. And you get an ACE. And you get an ACE. And you get an ACE. Everyone gets an ACE. There's a lot of data about how much ACE inhibitors decrease mortality in cardiac patients. So a lot of people get ACE inhibitors. Um, we'll talk about ACE versus ARBs when we get there, but for our acronym, they both start with ACE, so it's fantastic. So ACE or ARBs are our first line medical treatment. We will add a beta blocker to them once 
they are stable from their acute decompensation. This also helps decrease mortality in addition to an ACE inhibitor. We don't use this in decompensated heart failure because it decreases their ejection fraction. Remember, beta blockers kind of decrease that contractility of the heart. When they're struggling, we don't want to take that down. So beta blockers get added later. All right. So that's SWAB. And then D is for diuretics. Loops, again, are the most common here, Lasix slash furosemide, maybe spironolactone or hydrochlorothiazide, depending on their demographic and other lab values that are going on. But again, we like loop diuretics because those are more common for removing fluid. And again here, maybe digoxin. It can be used both acute and chronically. But um, at that point, we're, we're talking referral to cardiology, so... Okay, so that was chronic systolic heart failure, or HEF-REF management. For diastolic, we're really focusing more on controlling that etiology, remembering that it's hypertension and left ventricular hypertrophy. So we're going to control their rate, and we're going to manage their blood pressure. So here, again, you get an ACE and you get an ACE or an ARB. Again, beta blockers, once they're stable. These patients, you can also consider adding a calcium channel blocker. I think uh, in about two weeks, we're gonna talk about hypertension, so um, we'll talk about when calcium channel blockers are indicated for those managing um, blood pressure. But again, ACE and ARBs go first, and diuretics if they're volume overloaded. So for diastolic, they get the ABCDs. All right, so that was heart failure in about 18 minutes. That's a long time I know to spend on one topic, um, but I think it's important because one, it gets tested on a lot, and two, I think hopefully that will help you guys um, distinguish all that terminology and how those treatments are uh, both similar and different. So moving on, our next two topics are super duper quick. Like I said, when I did this research, I felt exhausted afterwards. And so I just wanted to kind of finish off with two very easy, light information topics um, to finish off our last few minutes. So we're moving on to dilated cardiomyopathy. This is the number one cardiomyopathy. It's most commonly in men. Etiologies here. The enteroviruses are number one. A couple examples of those are Coxsackie B or the echovirus. Uh, you may also see it associated with parvovirus B19, Lyme disease, alcohol abuse, cocaine, pregnancy, and it can also be idiopathic, though we think that maybe it's also associated with some viruses we don't know about. So, as the name implies, we have a dilated, weak heart, so we have cardiomegaly and systolic failure. So we're going to treat it just like systolic failure, SWAB and D. Restrictive cardiomyopathy, it's our final topic. Remember, we already talked about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in congenital heart disease. 
Restrictive cardiomyopathy only accounts for like 1% of cardiomyopathy, but you know, we're still going to have some board questions on it. And this is an infiltrative disease. So the number one cause is amyloidosis. It may also be caused by sarcoidosis or hemochromatosis. And uh, this is infiltrative diseases. So imagine things that have been deposited into the tissue. So the tissue is not any bigger but it's just less elastic. So now we have very stiff ventricles, which leads to diastolic dysfunction. So here we have really stiff ventricles. Those ventricles can't relax and fill. That's our definition of diastolic dysfunction. Uh, here, right-sided failure is more common. I will note we have this thing called Kussmaul's sign, K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L, apostrophe S sign. And this is when the jugular venous pressure, the JVP, increases with inspiration. Echo findings for restrictive cardiomyopathy. The ventricles are non-dilated, which makes sense because this is a diastolic dysfunction. So we have normal wall thickness. This isn't a problem of hypertrophy. This is a problem of elasticity. They'll have marked dilation of both atria. That blood isn't able to go into the ventricles. It's going to stretch out those atria. And then obviously diastolic dysfunction. Throw that in there over and over again. Treatment here. We're going to treat whatever the underlying disorder is. So when we go through those, we'll talk about those treatments there. Okay. All right, guys. That was everything for today. I know it was a, only a couple of topics, but I think one of them was a really big topic. So hopefully everything made sense. Uh, let's do a couple of questions to kind of see what you guys remember. Name a blood test you should order to support a diagnosis of congestive heart failure. This is a BNP or a B-type natriuretic peptide or a brain natriuretic peptide. And a lab value greater than 100 suggests CHF. What drug should be avoided during acute decompensated heart failure. This is beta blockers. Good. Which is more common, systolic or diastolic heart failure? Systolic. All right, five takeaway points from today. Number one, LMNOP and maybe digoxin. I always call it DIG, LMNOP and maybe DIG for decompensated heart failure. Be sure to decrease or discontinue beta blockers. Number two, swabbed for chronic management of systolic heart failure. Rate and blood pressure control for diastolic heart failure, ABCD. Number three, dilated cardiomyopathy is the number one cardiomyopathy. Its treatment is just like systolic heart failure. Number four, the number one cause of transudative effusion is congestive heart failure. Number five, left-sided heart failure equals lung symptoms. Right-sided heart failure equals rest of body symptoms. All right, everybody, we made it through heart failure. I always hope that it makes sense for you 
and hopefully you got a little bit more understanding of the topic than you had previously. If you have any questions, I'm always happy to answer them. My email is pastudysesh at gmail.com. You may also message me on Facebook. We are at pastudysesh on Facebook. If you like what you are hearing, please share us with your friends. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. I believe now we should be live on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify user, please subscribe to us there. If you could please leave us a review on Facebook or iTunes, I would definitely appreciate that as well. For more resources, including the blueprint for both 2018 and 2019 test takers, as well as the complete edition of my show notes, please head over to my website at pastudysesh.blueberrywithnoes.net. I'd like to thank Lee Rosevier for the use of his songs Curiosity and Tech Toys for the intro, outro, and question portions of our podcast. And we are just continuing to truck along with cardio. I am headed out of town for next week, but there should be an episode to go live as well. I'm going to try and do a little bit of a different type of segment next week. It's a little bit less board related, but still very cardio related, obviously. Um, I'm going to do what's called a back to basics section, and I'm going to give a little spiel on how I go about interpreting an EKG. Uh, hopefully useful for those of you who are pre-PA or maybe still in your first, uh, in your didactic year, or those of you about to uh, embark on rotations. Um, hopefully you guys find that useful. So again, I appreciate all of your guys' feedback. This podcast really is for you. So again, let me know what you like, what you don't like. Um, drop me an email, pastudysesh at gmail.com. And I hope you guys enjoy your week.